You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect analyst and writer. And in today's episode, I am going to be answering some of your questions that you submitted for me. And it was a last-minute mailbag, so not too many questions, but a few good ones that I wanted to touch on. And then also some topics of discussion as we head into this two-game series to end out the brief homestand against the Orioles where the Marlins will look to keep things rolling after a really successful week and try to get the offense going again after getting shut out against the Giants and presumably losing Starling Marte for at least this series. While it's a very fluid situation, and by the time I publish this podcast, as I recorded at 4 p.m. on Monday, something could change. And I don't know what the official report is going to be on Marte. It looked like a potential oblique. Anytime you have obliques, it's going to take a little bit of time. So I don't expect Marte to really be back anytime soon. I'm expecting him to go to the IL. I'm not saying he's going to be out for three months. I don't like to speculate on injuries too much, but if it is the oblique as it looked like where Marte was gesturing and kind of rubbing and and feeling around, that's going to be a few weeks at the minimum and a really big blow to the Marlins because they really can't replace Marte. There is no replacing Marte. We talked about that a few days ago just as it pertains to the team next year and extending Marte, and this might be a great opportunity now for the Marlins front office to see how important Marte is because it's going to be a struggle the next few ball games, not only defensively in center field to try to make up for that, but especially at the top of the order with his bat. It'll be a great reminder of how important Marte is to this ball club on the defensive side of things, especially on the offensive side of things and every other way that he impacts the game and maybe will be a nice little you know, nudge to say, okay, you need to keep this guy around next year. Hopefully the Marlins are able to still put it together and win ball games. One player is not the end all be all, but you can make the case that on the offensive side of things, that Starling Marte is the most important player on this team. And he's made that very clear with his consistency at the plate. So wishing him a speedy recovery, no clear designation yet as to whether he's going to the IL or not. I would assume it's very, very likely though we will have to wait and see. I'll talk about some of the contingency plans and what the Marlins lineup will look like without Starling Marte in it. I'm going to answer some of the questions first because those are always fun to start with. And the first question is, is Corey Dickerson on his way out? I don't see how they can play him in left field over Cooper or Blade. Well, there's a lot of things to unpack with this question. To answer it briefly, though, on the front side, it's that Dickerson's not going anywhere anytime soon. Obviously, he is going to be a free agent after the season, and the Marlins will probably not bring him back. But if we're talking about this season right now, Dickerson is a huge part of this lineup. While he's yet to showcase the power that the Marlins could definitely use, he is very consistent, and that's something that they definitely can use too. He's been consistent for the team, whether it's at the front of the lineup, still don't like him in the leadoff spot, but whether he's in that leadoff spot or wherever he is, 
the last few ball games, he has really been heating up, had four hits in that game two against the Giants, and has just been much more comfortable at the plate, at least it seems so. I'd like to see him do a little bit more damage, as I've said so many times on this podcast, but regardless, you need that lefty bat as well, because outside of Jazz Chisholm, that's really your only starter that's going to hit from the left side. Everybody else is right-handed. It's a right-handed heavy lineup. And it's good to balance it out with at least two lefties. You can't have Jazz Chisholm being the only left-handed hitter in your lineup. Now, I agree that it is a little bit tough to have Corey Dickerson getting the at-bats over Cooper because I would like to see Cooper get a large portion of those at-bats, if not a majority of them. But again, you need to have that lefty bat. I would rather have Cooper in right and Duvall be the one splitting time between those two spots depending on the matchup. So for example, with this series coming up with Matt Harvey in game one against the Marlins with the Orioles. I would want Dickerson in the lineup and Cooper in the lineup. And then you have Duvall coming off the bench. Whereas in the second game of the series, it's against Bruce Zimmerman, a left-handed pitcher. That's where I'm going to go with Cooper and Duvall in the outfield corners. That's the way it's got to be. And that's the way it's going to be the rest of the year. You have to have that flexibility. It gives the Marlins a little bit more to offer. I'd like to see Cooper get a majority of those at-bats, but I think those at-bats need to come from Duvall because I'd opt Dickerson over Duvall in the lineup on a day-to-day basis unless there is a matchup that you like for Duvall or there's a lefty on the mound that you don't like for Dickerson. And of course, the final key being if you're playing at Truist Park, which then you have to have Duvall in the lineup because that is his favorite place on earth to hit quite literally. He is unbelievable there. So that is the way I think that whole situation unpacks. Of course, the J.J. Blade situation will add another component to it, but it's unlikely that Blade is going to force his way into the big leagues this year. I mean, if he's absolutely mashing the ball and Dickerson is not doing a ton, then maybe. But you already have a somewhat crowded situation here, and I just don't know how the Marlins would be able to sort that out to just kind of force Blade up there unless you have Dickerson struggling mightily, which I don't really see happening. You have an injury to one of the other outfielders or you also have a situation where the Marlins aren't competitive anymore. You try to find a trade partner for Dickerson as his contract is expiring. And at that point, you bring up Blade to energize the fan base a little bit and also get him some experience ahead of the next season where he's likely competing for an opening day spot on the roster. That's obviously dependent on how Blade swings it this season in AA where I'm expecting him to start after what he did in the spring. He put himself in a spot where his track to the big leagues could be a bit quicker. But now that the Marlins outfield situation is already a bit crowded and none of the big leaguers are struggling beyond belief or to a point where you have to look at other options. This is probably the outfield situation we're going to be looking at for a majority of the season until the Marlins decide where they're going to be in terms of buyers or sellers and how things are going at that point. That also leads me into, which is unfortunate with the Marte injury, it doesn't really have any bearing on opening up a spot for somebody that you really wanted to see or potentially make it easier for the Cooper Aguilar situation because it's not like Duvall or Dickerson can play center field. And that's really why it's even more unfortunate 
that Marte has gone down is that it doesn't really open up any flexibility for you, even though you have some of that log jam. It just doesn't get any better. With Aguilar and Cooper, if it was a corner guy, then it solves that issue, right? And it's not saying that I wish somebody else got hurt or anything like that. But if it was a corner guy that went down, let's say Marte played left field, then the whole situation would be easier to sort out. But that's not the case. And the Marlins don't actually have anybody else that can really play center field on the big league team right now outside of my man, Magnara Sierra. So it's going to be a platoon, most likely, of Sierra and Lewis Brinson. And I know that that is not exciting at all for anybody, but it seems like the most likely and obvious scenario for now for this team. And when we look at the next two games, it makes sense that you'll probably see Sierra start game one, and then the Marlins will bring up Brinson for game two potentially of the series, where against a lefty and Bruce Zimmerman, that's where you'll get the start for Brinson, and hopefully he'll be able to settle in a little bit, though he did not look good in limited action this year. One last question until I dive into this two-game series and then the games ahead of that, as well as just talking about what the lineup could look like one through eight, one through nine, I guess, as we move forward here until we have Marte back. The question is from my man, Daniel DeVivo, who I can always count on for a quality question. And also, I know you've already heard from me personally, but a hat tip to you for your perseverance and your willingness to stand by Jorge Alfaro. It's admirable, and it was it paid dividends, right? <laughs> that ball game, wow. I mean, Alfaro was incredible, and that was one of those situations, again, where you know I have been very, very outspoken <laughs> against Jorge Alfaro, and I will be the first to admit that. And wow, I still stand by the fact that the Marlins need to go get a catcher next year. Alfaro has put together a few really good games, even before that big game he had where he pretty much single-handedly put the Marlins in a position to win in the second game of the series against the Giants. He was hitting so many balls hard. The two games preceding that hit one 116, a couple others, I think over 100 miles per hour. He's definitely settling in at the plate and even made a couple good defensive plays. I don't know if I'm sold on Alfaro being a consistently good catcher, but you got to be happy for Alfaro as I'm sure the struggles were weighing on him and I'm sure that he was starting to feel a little bit of pressure. And while Alfaro is a divisive topic among Marlins Twitter from what I see on a day-to-day basis in terms of those who think that he still has a shot to be a solid player and those who that are just adamantly against him. There is one thing that is objectively true, and it's that the Marlins are better off right now when Jorge Alfaro is playing well, and that's something that no matter where you stand on the issue, you should be united by, and it's that Jorge Alfaro playing well bodes well for everybody that shares fandom for the Marlins. That was a blast to watch. I was at that ball game, first ball game I'd been to in a long time. Can't express how good it felt to be back at the park. And if you haven't been back yet and feel as though you can do that safely, definitely go back. It was so much fun. There was more than enough space between me and anybody else. And it was still a great atmosphere where there was enough fans and it it was loud enough. I would like to say, though, there were a good number of fans and they would cheer when good things would happen. But there was no like three two count energy. There was no like bases loaded big at bat here for the Marlins where typically everybody's on their feet or on the pitching side of things. If you're on defense, when the Marlins are on defense, like a big two strike count to end the inning and usually people People are on their feet clapping. Like, I get it's a little bit different still. You're wearing a mask. It's still not totally the full normal. 
Yet, I promise it is still legal to make noise on big counts and big situations. And I would like to see that a little bit more next ball game. Other than that, it was so much fun to be there. The Marlins fans were still really amped after the ball game. It was cool to see all the energy and excitement, especially as that team came back and won that ball game. So a lot of fun. But back to the question that I have just now gone like three minutes without answering after reading the question. And it's, do you think that the current four-man rotation of Dickerson, Duvall, and Aguilar and Cooper is being managed right? If not, who would you keep on the bench to keep the other three in the lineup most of the time? And this is a great question because they're probably isn't a correct answer. There's just a preference. And my personal preference is kind of what I alluded to earlier, which is you go with Dickerson, Aguilar, and Cooper, because those are the three most consistent hitters of the four. And also they are probably three of the most consistent hitters in the Marlins lineup. Aguilar is, in my opinion, somebody that needs to be in the lineup every single day. Dickerson has been fantastic as of late, and when he's going well is, again, another really consistent bat. If we ignore last year, he's starting to look more like the guy that the Marlins thought they got last year. As for Garrett Cooper, he has not been swinging the bat as well as he can and as well as he was in spring training, although that was absurd how well he was swinging it in spring training. But I do think that Cooper is struggling with the inconsistent at-bats, and that's why I want to see him in the lineup a bit more. Duvall seems more comfortable coming off the bench so far this season. He seems more comfortable in the sporadic starts, whereas Cooper, the inconsistency in at-bats seemed to somewhat stifle the momentum that he had generated from spring training and then into the first few games of the season. I want to see Cooper in the lineup at least four to five days a week because he is when he's going well, the best and most productive hitter in this Marlins lineup. Aguilar is probably the most consistent when it comes to not striking out situational hitting, putting the bat on the ball. And that's why I think those two guys, like I've said so many times, need to be in the lineup. Cooper more so is just struggling, I think, without having the consistency of at-bats. And you don't want to hurt one of your better hitters by giving him this lack of rhythm in his playing time and stifling what he was really going well with, which was just consistency, barreling baseballs, and feeling comfortable at the plate. So I'd like to see that a little bit more frequently with him at-bats-wise. Duvall is a great, great bat off the bench. He is a great defender out there, and you are sacrificing defense. That's what's a little bit concerning because Dickerson's been bad and left. Cooper is not the best defender in right, but I think he's relatively average. Duvall is a plus defender, and that's where it gets tough. But I think when you look at now lacking Marte right now, the offense is very stricken for power and for production, and you got to err on the side of production and offense over defense. And that's why I'm going to lean towards having Cooper more so in the lineup and Duvall somewhat being the odd man out, but he's still going to get a lot of at-bats. And every time the Marlins face a tough lefty, that's a Duvall start over Dickerson. That seems to be the best way to go about it. And that's how I like to see it because you're also still going to give Cooper one day off a week minimum, even if he was the everyday player, just to kind of preserve that health as he has not been the most consistently healthy guy ever. Neither is Dickerson. So giving both of those guys at least one or two days off a week seems to be the perfect move. And that gives Duvall, before you know it, two to three games a week 
plus all of the at-bats off the bench. That seems to be the best mold for them. And Duvall can also be a late-game defensive replacement and come in to hit for those guys too. That seems to be the best way to navigate it. That's how I would do it. I'm going to talk about what the Marlins lineup could look like and should look like because that's two different things. It's what I think Don Mattingly is going to make it versus what I would personally make it, which are always two very different things. And also... We will take a look at some of the ball games ahead for the Marlins and a little bit of a quick dive into Matt Harvey and Bruce Zimmerman this season. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece, they're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only at BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so that you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're on the hunt for something perfect, a unique ring that she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 at BlueNile.com. Also brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. We've got sports going on all over. NBA playoffs on the way, NHL playoffs on the way, baseball season in full swing as well. But BetOnline covers everything from awards, TV shows, reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use the promo code locked on. That's one word locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So let's talk a little bit about the lineup and what it could look like and what I think it should look like. We'll start with what I think it should look like because this is something that I talked about a couple podcasts ago and I think it becomes even more important now. With Marte going down, and we don't know how long it's going to be, but let's assume even just the next two ball games plus, it's going to be different just because you're locked in almost every single ball game, no matter who you're facing. Your locked in number two hitter is now out of the lineup. So that kind of shuffles things around where you can do a lot of different things, and there's a lot of different ways you can go. With one of your most consistent and productive hitters now gone from the lineup, you have to probably shuffle things around differently. That's what I would do. And then going with the same lineup, essentially, just without him in there and just removing that one guy that is incredibly productive for you and probably your best hitter so far this year. I don't think that that's the way to do it. I think you have to shuffle around a little bit and try to find new ways to manufacture runs. That would be with Jazz Chisholm in the leadoff spot. I just think that that makes the most sense. I don't know if we're going to see that, but for me, that seems to be the obvious move here. Jazz Chisholm is not chasing. He's cut the strikeout rate down. He's barreling baseballs up as much as anyone in baseball, and he's walking a lot. What else do you want from a leadoff guy? And oh yeah, he's fast as hell. So what else do you need? 
And we all know that Jazz Chisholm is going to embrace the leadoff role and all that comes with it. He's going to love that. That is just embodies who he is. He's going to be able to do some Ronald Acuna type of stuff where he leads the ball game off with a solo shot maybe, but he's also going to give you good at bats and get on base. And when we talk about manufacturing runs, there is no better way to do that than having your most dynamic player, one, hit as many times as possible, which he would do if he's hitting in the leadoff spot, but two, be able to set the table at the beginning of the ball game and also precede all of your more consistent hitters. That is why I just love the idea of Chisholm. Also, he can make things happen on the base paths. If you have Dickerson or Rojas in the leadoff spot, they hit a single to start the ball game off or to start the inning off or whatever it may be. They're virtually not a threat at all to steal. Even going first to third on a single is going to be very dependent on where it's hit, where Jazz could probably go first to third on almost anything that reaches the outfield, no matter how hard it's hit, and maybe even on some balls that are hit in the infield. He can just make something happen out of nothing, and I think you need to have somebody like that in the leadoff spot. What I will say, though, before I go through the rest of the lineup is that you could also see a John Birdie in center field type of situation, too. While I do not love the defensive idea of Birdie in center, Cooper in right, and Dickerson in left, that's a bit terrifying. So maybe you go with Sierra in center in game one of the series, and then with the lefty on the bump in game two, that's where you go with Birdie in center and then Duvall in left so that you have a bit more defensive prowess out there. Though I will say in limited action last year, Birdie was a lot better in center field, but it's hard to make much out of 60 innings in center field to be able to say, okay, this guy was improved. But in 2019, in double the playing time, he was bad in center. So we don't know. Was it just a fluke because it was less playing time and it was a smaller amount? I don't know. We'll have to see, but I'm somewhat willing to find out because I would rather have Birdie's bat in the lineup than, let's say, Lewis Brinson's or even Magnara Sierra. So if that's the case, then you could justify having Birdie in the leadoff spot and something else going on otherwise. But assuming that the Marlins don't want to make that defensive sacrifice, let's say that they keep Birdie on the bench here or at least for the first game, it seems like they would. Then I want Jazz in the leadoff spot and then it would make sense after that to have Rojas and Aguilar. I just love the idea of having Jazz first and then having your two best situational hitters, your two best barrel controllers up after that. You have Jazz on first base. You have guys that are just optimal for hit and run. Guys that you can count on to help move the runner if he's on second base. Situational things that you may not get out of a Brian Anderson or even sometimes a Garrett Cooper that you can really count on those two guys for. I love Rojas in the two-hole. I love Aguilar in the three-hole. That would be a great one, two, three to start the ball game off. And those three guys can manufacture runs on their own. I could see Jazz hitting a single, stealing second. Rojas moves him to third. Sack fly Aguilar just like that. You draw first blood. That's how this Marlins team can really operate without one of their best bats and still push runs across early in games and still be as effective as possible. Then you have Cooper in the cleanup spot, Brian Anderson five, Dickerson six. I like having the lefties spread out there where you have a lefty in the back end of the order and a lefty at the top of the order, Alfaro seven, and then maybe one more lefty if you have Sierra starting and batting eighth or Lewis Brinson starting and batting eighth. That's the lineup that I would make. What I think Don is going to do is essentially the same lineup, just flip-flopping Jazz and Dickerson. And while that doesn't seem like a big deal, to me it makes a big difference. Why do you want your speediest guy hitting ahead of Alfaro, who's been swinging a hotter bat, but still, ahead of Alfaro and then Brinson or Sierra? 
Why would you want to have somebody that can make things happen on the base paths, that can take the extra bag, that can do all those things I mentioned, hitting ahead of your two probably worst hitters or most inconsistent hitters in Alfaro and Brinson or Sierra or whoever it may be after him. That's where, to me, it makes way more sense to have Jazz in that leadoff spot and then Dickerson, a guy that's more of someone that you can count on to drive in runs, although I know that that's something that Jazz has been doing. That's pretty much one-dimensionally what Dickerson's doing. It's just a contact-oriented guy. I do think that he's done a good job in the last few ball games at setting the table. I mean, having four hits, being able to get on base five times, that's all great stuff, and I think that's what Don Mattingly is going to hold on to as he sticks him in the leadoff spot, but I just don't like the dynamic guy kind of being buried in the sixth spot with some of the more inconsistent hitters behind him and then the pitcher's spot. I just don't like that idea. I don't think you're going to be able to maximize what you get from having somebody like Jazz Chisholm, and he needs to be at the top of the order for several reasons, and that's what I would personally do. We'll see if that's the case. With the center field situation to wrap up with, that's going to be interesting to unpack because I see people talking about Brian Miller, and while I do agree that we're getting towards the point where we need to see what the Marlins have with Brian Miller, in my opinion, there's no way that we see him get called up unless the Marlins decide to part ways with Magnara Sierra. The two are incredibly redundant, and they're actually the same age. Sierra has put up better numbers at the same levels, and while it is a new face and somebody that's always fun to see what they can do when they get a crack at the big leagues and maybe surprise you, Sierra is probably the better player right now and just is a better all-around player with more experience and has already shown that he can put up better numbers at the minor league level and has already put up, at times, good numbers at the major league level and did show some decent things last year. We haven't seen much of him this season outside of some very spotty starts late game pinch hitter, usually just a pinch runner. We'll have to see as he probably gets a lot more playing time depending on how long Marte is out. I would be interested though in potentially exploring just having Birdie out there in center in a platoon with Magnera Sierra and then just not having Brinson up here just yet. There really is a massive drop-off offensively from John Birdie to Lewis Brinson, and there's no disputing that at this point. It's not like Brinson offers more power or anything like that because he doesn't hit enough to be able to offer that power. So you could almost argue that a guy like John Birdie could end up slugging higher because he's not hitting a buck 50. And while Brinson hits the ball further and technically has more raw power, he's not going to hit enough to get into it. And the Marlins are going to get more production out of a John Birdie. And John Birdie can play all over. The thing is, though, a move to the IL for Marte would mean that there's a roster spot open to move somebody up. And who else do you move up other than Lewis Brinson? Corner outfield is overcrowded. First base is overcrowded. You're not going to do anything at shortstop outside of Rojas. And you also have Birdie and Jazz, who can both play shortstop if needed and both share time at second base, though Jazz is a starter. And B.A. is going to play third every single day. And then the catchers are taken care of. So it's not like you are going to really have any other spots to call somebody up. So you're probably going to call up Brinson anyways. So at that point, do you just call up Brinson and start him? I I guess, but you also have no more options with him. So if you call him up, then when Marte comes back, you got to make the ultimate decision with Brinson and decide what you are finally going to do with this guy because you can't send him to the minor leagues anymore. And that's where it's going to create somewhat of a difficult decision if the Marlins do bring him up. And I think it's going to depend on the timetable. If we see Marte is out for four weeks, let's say, then we'll probably see Brinson up. If we see Marte is out for seven to 10 days, 
then maybe the Marlins call up a different bench bat. It's going to be a really fluid situation, and until we have a clear timeline and answer on Marte, it's not going to be able to be answered just yet, though I'm sure the Marlins already have a good idea of what they're going to be doing. I will follow up once we have the news on Marte with exactly what the Marlins might be doing next. I'm assuming once the news is made public and announced, then the Marlins would have that subsequent move to go with it with that announcement. So we will see. We're all on standby here. The Marlins are taking their time with this extra off day, as they should, and we'll probably get an announcement on Tuesday morning ahead of the ball game, which would make the most sense to just make sure you get it right and make sure you know really just 100% before you put Marte on the IL. I think it's very likely that he's going to be on the IL, and as a result, it's going to depend on the timeline, like I said, for whether Lewis Brinson will be the guy moved up or if the Marlins want to preserve that option and save that really just difficult decision that once he's up, they're going to have to decide if he's worth the roster spot at the big league level or if it's time to fully part ways with him with no options left. Also worth noting that Magnera Sierra does not have any options left either, so the Marlins have their hands tied with those two if Brenton comes back up as well. As always, thank you for listening. It's going to be an opportunity here for the Marlins to pick up a couple more wins, hopefully. The Orioles, they have a sneaky good offense, but we're going to get to see Nider. We're going to get to see Trevor Rogers and the former Met, the former Dark Knight. I don't even call him the Dark Knight anymore because I think it's weird that people call him the Dark Knight still when he is not even, there's barely a major league pitcher at this point. So Matt Harvey, opportunity for the Marlins to jump on him. I said that when the Marlins played the Cardinals, it didn't work out. I said it when the Marlins played the Giants, it worked out two out of three. So we'll see how it works out against this Orioles team, but no doubt pitching advantage for the Marlins in the Rodgers matchup and likely a pitching advantage or at least close to it at least a wash at the worst, worst, worst case scenario for the Marlins with Neidert against Matt Harvey. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.